This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to Scholarly, a podcast brought to you by the ATS Scholar Journal. My name is Rachel Quainey. I'm a pulmonary critical care and sleep clinician educator at University of Colorado. Today, we will be discussing the recent ATS Scholar article, Better Together, Development and Implementation of Fellow Group Evaluations of Faculty, written by Drs. Zach Reese, Jessica Lee, and Caitlin Clancy of the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. I'm honored to have the first author here with us today. Dr. Zach Reese is a pulmonary and critical care physician at Lankanau Medical Center, just outside of Philadelphia. He pursued his undergraduate degree at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., before moving to Philadelphia to complete medical school at Thomas Jefferson University, Boston for internal medicine residency, where he also served as chief medical resident, and last but not least, he completed pulmonary and critical care medicine fellowship at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, where he was also a chief fellow. Now that he's made the transition from fellow to faculty, in his free time, he enjoys exploring the Philadelphia food scene and running along the Schuylkill River. So welcome, Zach, and thanks for joining me. Thanks. It's great to be here. But that's not the only ATS Scholar article we'll be discussing today. An accompanying accompanying editorial entitled Group Feedback for Faculty, Turning the Wheels of Change, was written by Drs. Mira John and Aaron Kamak. I'm excited to have the senior author, Dr. Kamak, join us as well. Dr. Aaron Kamak is an academic clinician, award-winning medical educator, and associate professor of medicine at the University of Kentucky College of Medicine, where she serves as a program director for the Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellowship Program. Dr. Kamak previously served her residency, fellowship, and early faculty career at Temple Lung Center, an internationally renowned lung center, and her clinical practice in interstitial lung disease provides comprehensive patient care for patients with advanced pulmonary diagnoses, and she has participated in many large clinical trials serving this vulnerable population. Outside of the hospital and clinic, Dr. Kamak can be found playing board and role-playing games, collecting fossils, and playing very loud, sometimes poor quality, electric guitar. Welcome, Erin. Thank you. It's always poor quality. That That's how you know it's fun. It's like a dopamine machine. <laughs> I love that. I can tell you for a fact it would be better quality than I could produce. <laughs> I didn't know about that. <laughs> so I am excited to chat about both of these. And by all means, let us know what your thoughts are. Make sure that people are as excited about this process and these articles as I am by the end of this. So first, Zach, Just start at the beginning. Take me back to traditional faculty feedback processes. What were the issues and what made this study necessary? Sure. So generally, I'll say that there's a lot more focus on feedback to trainees, fellows, residents, medical students, than there were on feedback to faculty members. And so the biggest problem that we had in our fellowship was that the fellows didn't feel that feedback was anonymous. And I think that that's a bigger problem just out of our fellowship, that when there's a smaller amount of trainees only working with a small amount of faculty members, even if the feedback is anonymous from the trainee, that trainees feel that the faculty member may be able to figure out who gave the feedback. And so trainees gave feedback to our program that they didn't feel that their feedback was truly anonymous. And so that was where this program and this feedback evaluation started. 
That's fantastic. And I think you're not alone at your institution by saying that, right? We've got plenty of reports, ACGME reports that echo that. And so I think that's really interesting topic. Erin, from the faculty perspective, and particularly the program director perspective as well, what were your initial thoughts on the importance of faculty feedback being evaluated and hopefully refined? Yeah, so I, I got Dr. Reese's article for review when I first started as this new program director role here at UK. So it came across my desk right at a very critical time where I was making this transition. And when I read it, I thought immediately that we should implement it because it directly addressed a big problem that I think is everywhere, but which I uncovered, of course, de novo, the way you sort of stumble into things when you're taking on a role like this. And that was that the feedback that we'd gotten from fellows during a special GME review and also during like the program changeover listening sessions was very different than the feedback that was in the faculty written evaluations. The disparity was shocking. Faculty were being told repeatedly, they are amazing, they are quality educators, they're doing a great job, they are appreciated. But then in behind closed door settings, we were hearing, oh yes, Dr. X rounds for 110 million years, and I have become a fossil by the time that rounds are over, or Dr. Y rounds in such a way that I as the fellow fall into the background and I'm never heard from nor seen again. And so we we recognize this problem. And, and the first thing that we tried to do about it was to say, hey guys, the feedback you're giving to faculty, just like in every other center, is actually anonymous. We actually showed them how faculty feedback works within the system so that they could see for themselves how their responses were being anonymized. And even that was not enough to get real feedback to faculty, which is so crucial to have fellows feel validated or valued. Crucial for educators to learn and grow. So I, admit that prior to completing the entire process of like going through our little program leadership community to decide whether or not everyone wanted to do this, I was like, implementation right now. <laughs> so. Aaron, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because we were having the same problem in my fellowship that even though the fellows were told that their feedback was anonymous, a lot of them may maybe didn't even believe it. I don't know if part of it was because the feedback that we get from faculty was not anonymous on the feedback reporting system that we use, which is MedHub. And so maybe fellows thought that because we didn't get anonymous feedback, they weren't giving anonymous feedback. And even after we were told by the program director, it is anonymous, people still weren't truthful. And our program director also batches feedback for the faculty every six months. So she'll keep the feedback given to faculty for six months and then share it at six month intervals in, in an event to kind of make it more anonymous. But even that wasn't enough to make the fellows feel more comfortable giving kind of specific behavior-based actionable feedback. And so that was, that was kind of the big gap in how we were giving feedback to faculty. It's just a terrible side effect of the hierarchy of medicine which is something that every one of us here does not want to perpetuate. And yet we are injected into this system where we are perpetuating it by, by existing within it. So that's exactly what I was going to say. The hierarchy. I mean, even though we try to break it down, a lot of fellowship programs, especially you are treated like colleagues, but there's still that ever present hierarchy. And it speaks, I think, 
both of you at your programs to the psychological safety or lack thereof that trainees feel in that system. You can tell them this is anonymous, you're protected, et cetera. And that does not erase the power dynamics and the hierarchy that's, that will always be at play to some degree. Obviously, it would be something that we'd love to mitigate, but there's other ways to sort of support trainees while we work to break down that hierarchy too. Zach, this study actually began in 2019. What was your role in that point in time? And then how did you see the evaluation process evolve throughout the years of the study? So I will say that this study started before my start of fellowship in I started in July of 2020, and so it had been going on for about a year at that time. Doctors Caitlin Clancy and Jessica Lee were the ones that started the study after hearing from the program leadership that fellows didn't feel that the feedback that they could give was truly confidential. And so they had started this process about a year before I came, talking about faculty in a confidential manner and having fellows give confidential feedback about faculty. When I came along, I was interested because feedback is something that I think that everyone can do better at both giving and receiving. And I was interested in furthering the process and creating more structure around the process. And so they were both looking to hand over the project to a fellow to, to take it over since they were both at the time, new faculty. And so that's kind of how I got involved is just showing interest. And it just happened to be a great time because they were looking to transition to someone to take over. It's fantastic. Were there iterative changes you made throughout the years or was the structure sort of set in in place and you wanted to continue it as is? I think they did a great job starting the, the project. I just basically standardized it a little bit more. So what we started to do more is solicit opinions from the fellows of faculty who would be good people to talk about. What we would do as this program continued is I would look at the recent ICU or consult rotation schedule and look at various faculty members who had rotated recently through either of those rotations. And then I would email the fellows that were specifically working with the faculty members saying, you know, we're going to be talking about this specific faculty member. You work with them recently on the ICU service or the consult service. I'd love to hear your opinion. Please try to attend the session if you can. And so creating more structure behind that to get as many people involved as possible was was something that I did. But I that all of the credit for the development, the thought behind it goes to uh, Kate and Jessica. That's perfect. And having the option, the attendance option, not just those reminders, but in-person and virtual provides that sort of extra flexibility depending on the landscape of the program. You know, if you're spread out across different institutions, if you're different obligations, et cetera, how did you, aside those emails that you mentioned, how did you ensure the best attendance possible for the most robust discussions? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And something that was actually quite easy for our program, but maybe a little bit more difficult. And the reason why I say that is because we had protected time from 8 to 9 a.m. every morning is protected time for the fellows conference. And there's a different conference every day of the week. And so I picked the days of the week during the months that there was a faculty meeting. So the faculty were already going to be in a meeting of their own. And usually on that time from eight to nine, 
there was no fellows conference because there were no available faculty. And so those were the times that we picked to have these feedback sessions. So one, the fellows were already used to having a conference at that time. Two, all of the faculty were already going to be not available. And three, I ensured during the beginning of each conference that I told all of the participants that this was, it was completely anonymous, that the people joining from remote areas, that it was, it wasn't going to be recorded, that I was taking notes during the session, but that all the notes would be de-identified and then shared with the program director at a later date. And so at the beginning of every single session, I reiterated all of this to make sure that people were as comfortable as possible sharing any feedback they had. Further, I would remind fellows that if they didn't feel comfortable sharing something to the group, or if what they had to say might be a little bit different from what someone else had to say, and they didn't want to share it in real time, that they could always contact me either in person or via email later. And I would add their feedback to the compilation that I would type up before sending it to the program director. Perfect. So walk our listeners through that maybe haven't read the article quite yet. They'll be getting to it of how you deliver that feedback. So you mentioned already that you gathered it in a de-identified form. And then how was that uh, transmitted or delivered to send faculty members? Sure. So after the sessions, while I would be taking notes, I would read through the notes that I took and streamline everything into a document that focused on feedback that was shared both strengths of a faculty member as well as areas for growth. And then I would send that de-identified document to the program director who would then hold on to it for several months before sending it out to the faculty member to again ensure that there was even a little bit more time to make sure that uh, any recent event that may have been brought up in the meeting that may have that may have contributed to feedback that was shared would be separated by some time, then our program director would email out that feedback document to the faculty member. And in the email say that they would faculty member would be welcome to talk with either myself or with the program director if they had any questions or concerns about the feedback that was brought up. I like that there's, you know, a method for further clarification, right? Because I can imagine at times you'd say this is interesting, but I have questions about what this exactly means. And so having that option of either you who were in the meeting or a program director or, you know, a medical educator that's respected to be further resource would be immensely helpful. So fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Would it be helpful to like just talk about the sessions in general for if people haven't read it, would would, would a summary be helpful? I, I'm not really sure. I would love that. I think that would be great because I think it speaks to what you've put together and then what other programs could potentially use as well. So, And sure. our program is using actively already. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. So, so how the program worked is once a quarter, we had protected time during a faculty meeting where we scheduled these feedback sessions. About a week before the session was scheduled to take place, I would email all of the fellows and say that we were planning on having a group feedback evaluation session and they should please contact me if they had any faculty that they were willing or wanting to provide feedback for. And I would maybe get one, maybe two responses. Then on that week beforehand, I would look through the recent schedule for the 
ICU and consult faculty members and pick generally newer faculty members that hadn't been evaluated before in the sessions. I would then, the day before the session, email out all the fellows with a list of the three to four faculty members being discussed, as well as send individual emails to the fellows who recently worked with the faculty members. During the session, at the beginning of the session, as we talked about, I would share a disclaimer that everything said was confidential, that it was de-identified, that we would be focusing on behavior-based feedback, and that two general areas of feedback we'd be focusing on were strengths and areas for growth. And I would then kind of start the session. If there was no fellow that volunteered information off the bat, I would suggest that one of the fellows that recently worked with the faculty member would start by sharing a strength or area for growth, and then would probe that fellow for any kind of either supporting information, or if they were very vague, or their feedback was not behavior-based, would kind of ask specific questions about that. Generally, fellows throughout the course of the three years that we did this kind of got used to it. And so then we're, would start to need less prompting, but certainly at the beginning, it was more moderator driven. If there were ever any discrepancies or disagreements, we would kind of further explore that. And then at the end of the session is when I would type up the information and then share it with the program director as, a, as we discussed already. That's fantastic. And when you speak a little bit to discrepancies, how are those handled? Because consensus would be ideal, but also you don't want to alienate anyone that has specific or unique experiences in their ability to provide actionable feedback. Sure. So generally, what we would do is focus on the feedback from the fellow that most recently worked with the faculty member. But if there was an upper year fellow that had a differing viewpoint, or if they just spoke first, what I would do is say, you know, this is different. Like what, what, what I would do is I would say this, these, this feedback is kind of slightly different and doesn't really kind of match with what this other fellow is saying. Is it like, have, have you seen this feedback recently? Or uh, is it possible that this faculty member has been working on this behavior change and that's why it's different from what X other fellow has said since you've worked with them a couple of years ago. And that would also kind of foster discussion because maybe an upper year fellow would say, you know, I worked with them when I was a first year fellow two years ago. And and, and so it sounds like they've been working on this, or it sounds like X behavior has gotten worse based on what this first year fellow is saying since they recently worked with this faculty member. And so that would help me understand if this was a behavior that has been improving, has been getting worse, has been staying the same, because then I would kind of include that in the narrative as well, is that this has been consistent across multiple years so that the faculty member would have more information from that. That's fantastic. I think that's a great time, Erin, for you to tell us a little bit about your implementation. What's been going on so far? How are things going? Well, first note, our program leadership group, because we run a variety of programs. We have pulmonary and critical care. We have CARDS critical care, NEF critical care, critical care, critical care, palliative critical care. We have all the all the different programs under this big umbrella. 
So I brought this uh, idea forward to the team and everybody wanted to do it immediately, which is fantastic. I had already made up my mind to implement it anyway, just for pulmonary and critical care if no one else wanted in. But in any case, we grabbed the, the chief fellows and showed them the article and said, we'd like to do this. And they said, oh, we'd like to do this. So I thought I'd have to hassle them. I reminded them like maybe once to give me an update on how things were going, but they scheduled all on their own, a whole bunch of dates for the fellows to come together to meet with a kind of Zoom plus in-person meeting and to develop feedback. They, they created the format that they wanted to use, which they ran by myself and my colleagues and made sure it was okay. And then they started producing reports. So they went through the faculty, starting with the people whose last name started with A and going all the way through. They're at about D <laughs> when we get the first feedback report back, and they're presently somewhere down south of H. So they've been making good progress going through this and batching their responses, all using the template that they created. So what we have done is start to get our program leadership team together to meet with faculty one-on-one. -on -one. Each faculty is going to get an, is getting an educational review annually. And so we're batching the feedback from these group feedback sessions that the fellows are doing with their MedHub feedback, because we use MedHub as well, their medical student feedback or evaluations that they write for fellows and their adherence with actually filling those out with actionable items and, you know, conference attendance and all this other stuff that we hope the faculty will do. And so we're creating these kind of broadly applicable sessions for the faculty in which this is a part of the feedback that they receive. So it is so far extraordinarily well received. Those who've had feedback that was pretty strong feedback about things that they were asked to do differently have responded rapidly to try to change their ways. My own feedback was delivered to me in this way, and I think it's the first time I've ever really had feedback on my performances in attending. And I'm grateful for it. I mean, there were, there were things that they were really happy about, and there were things that they were like, it would be great if you would just stop. <laughs> Apparently, they, they are bothered by my, my use of patient-centered language and my encouragement of other team members to use patient-centered language. <laughs> so when, when the medical student is presenting to the fellow on rounds, they would like me to be quiet so that I can sit there and not say, it's adherence, not compliance. But of course, that's well, annoying. <laughs> and I'm so happy to hear that it's going well for your program, Aaron, because I feel like so many faculty members, and now that I'm a new faculty member too, really want feedback because we want to be doing the best that we can for our trainees. And we want to be providing the best patient care, but also providing the best educational experience. And it's not helpful to get a written evaluation that doesn't say anything actionable and so it, it's such a need and such a want from faculty that I, I think that this program is really fulfilling that and providing really a, a better experience for, for trainees as well, because when there's this kind of psychological safety, this kind of safe space where trainees can share feedback and, and faculty can share feedback in a safe way, that we're, then we're all getting better. 
Yeah. And it's opening up opportunities to improve the program too. We just did a feedback session with one of our faculty who's at a branch campus for us, the VA, which is where our fellows go for brief periods of time. And one of the pieces of the feedback that that faculty member received was, hey, you're a great procedural teacher, but we don't get to see you do the majority of the cool procedures that you do. So like, can we do that? And we gave that to him as a part of his feedback. And he was like, oh, absolutely. And so he just emailed the whole fellowship and was like, hey, these, these are when my procedure dates are. And this is what I'd like you to do if you'd like to be part of the procedure. And so we can set goals and expectations. But like, yeah, let's do it. And so that opened up a whole avenue that we as a leadership had no idea wasn't being explored on which there was interest for both the faculty member and the fellows to improve the program as a whole. So I'm so far, I'm totally sold. I love all of that. It just shows that this is clearly a need. And I, I think it shows the adaptability of a program like this, right? You can make it work for your program with some changes and easily implement something like, like this. And I just am really interested to see where this goes next and what happens. So I implemented a program similar to this during my fellowship and similar to Zach as a new faculty. I see it from the other perspective too. Like not only just a handful of years ago, I just felt felt that I wasn't empowered enough to give constructive feedback, both in my knowledge and my ability to give feedback because I needed to work on that area, but then the hierarchy. And then on the other hand, now I see it from a faculty perspective. Like I, I don't know what what quirks and educational techniques I have that are well-received versus not well-received. And I would like to know that exactly like you've been told, Eric, or Aaron. So that's fantastic. I also have developed a hypothesis that we'll have to see whether this is true. But the hypothesis that I'm developing is that the actual MedHub feedback is going to become more actionable as a result of this as well. Yeah, Aaron, getting... we oh. talked about that as well. Sorry. Can you oh, really? That? Yeah. No, I mean, it, it makes sense. You know, they, they express something in an environment of safety. They then observe the faculty member again in the future. They then get the MedHub request and it's like percolated in there and they might feel a little more safe to, to write it down. I'm, I'm just noticing that some of the faculty evals that are coming in since we implemented the, this process have been a little bit more specific and actionable. Yes, we talked about studying that as well as in terms of next steps for this project. We haven't gotten around to it yet, but anecdotally, I'll say from the fellows I've heard from who've participated in the program, they love it, but also have learned how to give actionable behavior-based feedback. And because as the moderator, you know, I, I, what, what I'll do, you, you kind of frame the feedback that's giving if so that it is more behavior based and and they learn. And so I also wonder if the MedHub feedback or the written feedback, I should say, will change and improve because of this. Because right now, I don't know how it is with in, at University of Kentucky, but right now, the group feedback doesn't replace or take the place of written feedback just for the medical school and for the hospital system, we still have to officially use the written feedback that this group evaluation is just supplementary to that. Ideally, we'd love to get rid of the written feedback and just have these group evaluation sessions, or at least have these group sessions count toward faculty promotion or count toward the feedback that they're getting, because right now it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, we did we did the same thing with implementation. We're adding it rather than 
substituting it. And I think, as you're mentioning, that has benefits too. So if you want to collaborate on this one, you <laughs> you call me up. I've I've got some fellows. I got what, 28 fellows for you and 30 odd faculty. So. And another thing that we're looking to, or that we talked about looking into further is the faculty perceptions of this feedback because one of the limitations of the study was that we really just looked at fellow perceptions of the feedback. I will say anecdotally, it has been received very positively by the faculty. Once they got the feedback, they made implementation quickly. They were happy to hear about it. But I wonder if we actually, you know, qualitatively measured it, if it, it would have improved. So I wonder, Aaron, what your experience has been as well. So far, so good. I can say though, that I would love to hear your experience about some feedback if it becomes really a truly difficult piece of feedback to have to hear. You know, there there may be some faculty that we'll get through as we go through our program that don't get these kind of like very thoughtful, measured, you know, responses, but also, but get thoughtful, measured responses that are saying, you really need to change a lot of what you're doing. And whether, whether acceptance will kind of, your mileage may vary depending upon the ability and the, the challenge that rising to this feedback would represent. I think that's an interesting thing to consider is both the degree of constructive feedback provided, how that influences the faculty perception of this. And then also there's a wide array in faculty from young clinician educators, such as yourself, to maybe the reluctant learner. So the reluctant medical educator that is not as interested up front in receiving something like this. And so I think there's two different aspects of considering the phenotype or the career track, and then also how much of the feedback is constructive would be interesting to consider. I do think that that's an area where we as program directors need to trim edges sometimes. You know, we need to make whatever the feedback is digestible in whatever way that it is best for it to be digestible. But it's not going to overcome the challenge when we have somebody who's been teaching for 20 years in a particular way and who's now being asked to just completely re rebuild from the ground up. It's going to be hard for some folks, I imagine. That, that's a great point. And we didn't really run into that problem because we generally focused on newer faculty, but you're right. There are kind of faculty who, I don't want to use the word old because they're not, but just faculty who have been at an institution for a while or have been doing what they're doing for a while. And if they are resistant to change, that may be, I mean, new faculty could also be resistant to change. It's really not not, not uh, based on how long someone has been there, but I will say we, it, it was generally well-received. I never heard of or got specific feedback from faculty about any anything that they had heard from these group evaluation sessions, but it's certainly something that would be challenging, I think, to intervene with or to deal with. And while she was unable to join us, Dr. Kamek's co-author on the editorial, Dr. Mira John, weighed in on her perspective, particularly as a third-year pulmonary and critical care fellow at University of Washington. So I spoke with her in advance, and she said her takeaway is that this is a well-thought-out innovation that allows for greater confidentiality of individual comments, along with the opportunity for fellows to share experiences, both good and bad. 
All are important steps towards addressing the very real challenges that trainees face when providing honest and actionable feedback for faculty, such as fear of repercussions or retaliation, maintaining professional relationships, and even personal feelings of shame. She went on to say that the innovation does have some limitations, such as applicability in smaller programs, evaluation disagreements between fellows and program leadership, as well as the potential bias and groupthink during evaluation sessions that could affect its ability to make said intended broader cultural changes. So I want to thank her first for weighing in and writing such a great editorial piece with Dr. Kamak, but I also want to give Zach an opportunity to speak to that. There Obviously, you get a group of people together sharing experiences, both good and bad, and there is the potential for bias and group thing. How did you or how would you work to mitigate these? Fellows recognized that because when they were asked if group feedback was less biased than written feedback, there was no difference between written and group feedback. And so they recognized that. And so how did we try to mitigate that. During the sessions, if there were certain fellows who were speaking a lot about a particular faculty member or giving a lot of feedback, I would ask other fellows to chime in. I would even say, thanks so much for this feedback. Can we hear another voice and another opinion about it? I would even sometimes pose a question of saying this fellow said that this faculty's behavior was X. Did anyone note this or did anyone see this faculty member's behavior as Y? Meaning, you know, kind of opening the discussion to say, does do people agree with this? Did they see something different? And that seemed to work well, but even so, if there's, particularly if there's an, a very, vocal upper year fellow saying something first, then particularly the first year fellows are are less likely to say something. And so other than those kind of techniques, I don't know exactly how else to mitigate that. And I'm curious as to what Aaron has heard of, seen, done in their sessions. Yeah, I mean, like everyone with a fellowship program that has survived COVID, we have some senior fellows who are more more affected by that than some of the current junior fellows. Those experiences are emotionally resonant, and I think that they impact the sort of feelings that fellows generate about their faculty. So I, I think that that's an area where the program director's knowledge of the context needs to be injected into the situation so that especially feedback that seems to come from a more difficult era can be kind of couched with, hey, you know, I know that most of this is reflective of, you know, the time that we all spent surviving this generational event in medicine. (laughs) And we're going to tell it to you because it was, it was listed here, but, you know, we know the context, you know, the context, it's not, you know, an always thing that everyone always feels, for example. I just think that that, that, that time was a particularly hard time to be a fellow and a particularly hard time to be a faculty member and that those interactions have impacts even still. That's such a great point that we could probably have our own whole podcast discussion on. Very true. There were challenges on all sides and then you put the interpersonal relationships on top of those challenges and it really amplifies 
any issues. And so I really love what you both said, Zach talking about sort of a trained facilitator, guiding the discussion, being very intentional of the best you can mitigating groupthink and bias, knowing that we can never get rid of bias. We are humans, we are individuals, right? But acknowledging it and being cognizant of it is the best way to start mitigating it. And then Aaron talking about contextualizing. So contextualizing things, figuring out where there's trends, where there's consensus versus disagreements to help really give the most fruitful, actionable feedback that you possibly can. So I love that. Yeah. And then Rachel, to kind of respond to the other limitation that we brought up and it was also brought up in the editorial about utility for smaller fellowships. That's also a tough question to answer. I've been thinking more about that recently because I'm now at a medical center that has six fellows total. So two per year, whereas in my own fellowship, there were eight per year. So it's certainly significantly smaller. And we still need to have a method by which fellows can confidentially give feedback to faculty. And so I was thinking like, do we still have a fellow moderate it or do we have maybe a program administrator moderate it? Because if we had a fellow moderate, one out of the six fellows would be a moderator, then that's kind of taking away one voice of only six to give feedback. But at the same time, maybe the moderator could give feedback as well during the session or interject their own feedback and the written feedback that they provide to the program director. Alternatively, it doesn't, I don't think necessarily need to be a fellow who moderates these sessions. I think if it's somebody that the fellows know who's part of the program, like, like a program administrator, as long as they're trained to kind of ask these probing questions and focus the discussion on behavior-based feedback, I wonder if that's something that could be done as well in the very small programs so that all of the fellows can feel comfortable giving their own feedback without one of them being kind of told or yeah, being told to be the moderator. Yeah. Another consideration I would inject there would be that unless the feedback fellows are giving is emergently actionable, perhaps some time will resolve concerns that smaller fellowships have. You know, you, you do these sessions on a schedule, but the data is collated every three years or something. And so it reflects L curve of fellows over that period of time, rather than just the fellows in the program right now. I love that. It just goes to show that with a good medical educator minds, there's lots of ways that this can be adapted and implemented. It's just a matter of, you know, considering the limitations and then studying them appropriately to make sure that we're getting that the sort of specific actionable confidential feedback that really is what is the beautiful outcome of this and what is so appreciated by fellows and then potentially per per reports faculty as well. So I think there's a, an inherent adaptability to something like this too. Yeah. And just a note on diversity, equity, and inclusion, our fellows put uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion concerns into every, in, or into the template that they're using. So they're, they're talking about that as a component of the conversations that they're having. And so far, we have not seen any evidence that they are not considering those issues as they're going through the faculty. They've been reviewing female faculty, male fa faculty, URIM faculty, and we haven't had any concerns so far that have been raised that we felt we needed to contextualize. So I, I think that 
one of the benefits is that our fellows are younger than we are, and they are a little bit more likely to be to be down with the kind of changes that we need to make in medicine and more responsive to systemic bias as a result. That's exactly what I was thinking of when we started this conversation about the group think and the biases is just how amazing these current trainees are and such value that they bring and that ultimately, yes, there are concerns about this, but as long as we mitigate them to some degree, ultimately there's a level of trust that we have to give these amazing trainees that you've recruited to your program and you're trusting to take care of patients alongside you. So, and they really, they tend, they have seemed to embrace programs like this and with the best of intentions and truly trying to make feedback that is helpful and not, you know, steeped in groupthink and bias and retaliation, et cetera. So one of the pieces of feedback that a faculty member we have reviewed so far received was that the fellows felt like her responses to bias were inspirational. So they recognized that she experienced bias and then responded to it. And they thought that was amazing. So that... (laughs) That's pretty good work against bias right there. That's remarkable. I love that. And I think on that wonderful note, I think it's a great point to just talk about implementation, next steps, where we go from here. We've clearly talked about this throughout the episode, but as was pointed out in the editorial, um, Zach, your paper does include actionable information clearly so that programs such as Aaron's cannot implement group feedback for faculty. What advice would you both give others? What sort of next steps would you love to see done or studied in this realm of faculty feedback? I think first and foremost, there has to be buy-in from the program and from the fellows, which it seems like there will be because I think it's a need. But if the program administration, program director doesn't support the initiative, then it's obviously not going to work. And if the fellows don't show up or don't provide this feedback or are willing to have the conversation, then it's not going to continue. And then kind of having a champion to take, to take charge, to make sure that continues year after year, because as with most innovations, if there isn't someone to continue it, it usually just fizzles out. And so in our fellowship, it really has become the responsibilities of the chief fellows, which It's a good thing and a bad thing. The chief fellows are busy and giving them more responsibility sometimes isn't always the best thing, but that's kind of what has happened. And it's working so far. We have buy-in from the fellows and from the program leadership to continue the program. And so I think those are important things to make sure that it keeps going. And then in terms of next steps, we already talked about a couple of them, but I would love to hear from our faculty about their perceptions of it. Because again, anecdotally, I've heard only positive things, but I'm sure there are things that we could improve on as well. And then I would love to see if the quality of the written feedback improves. And then I'm even wondering if the quality of the feedback that the fellows that give to the residents or give to the med students has changed because they are now a part of a group and a part of a process by which specific behavior-based confidential feedback is given. And so I don't, I haven't thought yet how to measure that or if it's even measurable, I'm sure it is somehow, but those are things that I would love to learn about and and figure out from this program. And Erin, I'm interested to see what you are think too. Yeah. I just want to encourage other listening program leaders to implement this. 
I will admit I was extremely excited to see this idea and I wanted to implement it no matter what, like heck or high water. But fortunately, the, the fellows were very excited too and had the same sort of response to it that I had. So I wonder that even if you have a small program, you might be able to, to make something work so that you could benefit from this as we have been benefiting from it. I do think, as we mentioned in the editorial, that this is a component that can help us to work slowly against the hierarchical nature of the system that we find ourselves in, but that it certainly does not encompass all of the work that we need to do against this hierarchical system. We were born in it and we have survived it and our trainees to some extent have shared those experiences already, but that doesn't mean we all should accept it. So. I'm interested to think about ways in which we as a medical education community can, can further these goals, the goals of turning those wheels of change against the hierarchy, especially within pulmonary and critical care, which is one of those areas where trainees especially experience that, that hierarchical feeling because it's such a competitive subspecialty. And they are so concerned to be viewed as fantastic in our eyes. That is fantastic. And on that note, I will wrap us up. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today. I've enjoyed this so much. And thanks as always to our listeners. You can find Dr. Reese's article, Better Together, Development and Implementation of Fellow Group Evaluations of Faculty, and Dr. Kamak's editorial group feedback for faculty, Turning the Wheels of Change, on the ATS Scholar website at atsjournals.org. If you enjoyed this episode of Scholarly, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.